Hi, plant friends. Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. This is Simon Hill, your host and creator of plantproof.com, your one-stop shop for information on plant-based nutrition. The Plant Proof Podcast is a channel to create thought-provoking conversation with industry leaders, qualified professionals, athletes, and more to help us become more conscious and form healthier and more mindful habits. And now it's time to introduce today's special guest. This episode of the Plant Proof Podcast features Sam Webb. Sam is well known in Australia for his appearance on Australian Survivor. After joining the reality show, Sam appeared in Network 10's long-running drama series, Neighbours. A graduate of Sydney's drama school, ScreenWise, Sam has also received credit for his work in the feature film documentary, Suicide, The Ripple Effect, which premiered in LA in spring 2018. Sam has received notable recognition for his work in co-founding the mental health organization and charity Livin after the death of his good friend to suicide. The core of their mission is to break the stigma around mental health through fashion, events and workshops, notably in schools around Australia. Just over a year and a half ago, I lost one of my best buddies, James Brannan. So raising awareness for mental health and what the Living Organisation is doing is very dear to my heart. This episode is dedicated to you, James and also to anyone else who has lost a friend or family member to suicide, I feel your pain and hope you get something out of this conversation with Sam. Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast, Sam Webb. Thank you so much, Simon, and uh, I'm very grateful to be on here today. Mate, I've been super excited about our chat tonight. We've actually been at the same training at the same gym down in Bondi for a little while, and as soon as I... I read about your story and what you're doing with with living and the the charity and and what it stands for. I knew I needed to to get you on the podcast. So yeah, just tremendously excited to share your story from the beginning to the listeners and get an idea as to where it all uh, was inspired by and uh, what you're up to today. So how about we wind things back? Yeah. Are you are you originally from? From Bondi in Sydney or, or where did you grow up? Great question. Great question. Thanks, Simon. For me, I, I was born in Sydney Hospital. I was born in Sydney Hospital. So I'm, a, I'm definitely a, a, New South, a New South Welshman at heart. Parents decided to move at a very young age. I think I was just, just after two. Ended up heading north up to the Gold Coast where I was raised. So I spent most of my, my growing childhood and, and my prior years growing up on the Gold Coast in Burley Heads. Beautiful. I've actually got a family family apartment up in Burley Heads. It's a, an amazing part of the world up there. It is. It is. It's a, it's a very beautiful place, and, and yeah, I, I had my I had some good times there as well as some bad times. But it's all part of the, the, the greater the greater story. And were you were you an only child, or did you grow up with brothers and sisters? Yep, I've uh, I'm one of five, so I'm, it's kind of a big family. A little disconnected to some to some extent. My family, uh, mum and dad split up when I was going on seven. At that time, I obviously had the elder sister, two elder sisters, sorry, and an elder brother. I was the youngest. Now I've got a, a younger sister, which is my mum's new marriage. So she's, uh, she, she remarried and she's been happily married for the last 23 years. And I've got a, another sister. So it's, I still like to call her my real sister, obviously. But if you go back to DNA blood, it's obviously my half sister. And 
Um, she's she's ten years my my junior, so she's turning twenty this year. Okay, wow. So f- fairly big family, and you you went to school on the coast. What school did you go to up there? I went to PBC High, so I studied um, sports excellence for rugby league and had a had a bit of a a knee altercation, so I ended up, I guess putting the football career on hold and ended up at Miami State High School, which is where most of my friends from primary went. And I ended up going to the sports excellence route just because of sport. Ended up at a school, which probably not a lot, not of my main core group of mates were there, but it was a good time while I was there. And and as you were going through um, schooling at Miami, what were your main hobbies and passions and, and what did Sam Webb sort of aspire to become? Yes, that's a good question. I mean, at school, I... I was probably like most students. I didn't really have a, a clue what I wanted to do in life. I was a little lost, a bit confused. I mean, I was just doing the best I could to get through class, uh, get through my weeks. And, you know, something obviously stood out to me then. I loved my phys, you know, phys ed, you know, HPE, and I also liked film and TV. So there were two classes I, I worked at for a number of years at Miami State High School. And it seems like, yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of involved in one of them today. Okay, so you went through school, high school at Miami, yeah. and you're interested in uh, phys ed, PE, yeah. and fitness, and whatnot. What What did you do after school? What was next for for that part of your journey? Yeah, for me after school, I uh, and this is winding the clock back a little bit now, so it's giving me time to think. I got straight into sales. I was I was straight into sales. It was just a job. I didn't I didn't I wasn't like a lot of students who, who sort of wanted to pursue university straight out of school. I didn't really know again where I was in the world. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was pretty lost. Most of my friends and my, my, my hanging around, I guess the group that I used to, to hang around were, were in the same level. None of them were really going to university. So for me, I mean, I was on my own little journey. And after school, I sort of just got into a job where my sister was and I was selling holiday packages. Still on the coast? Yeah, still on the Gold Coast, yeah. And straight out of school, I pretty much went straight into work. Okay. And was that a job that you look back on now and you enjoyed? Were you happy at that time of your, your life? No, I, I mean, at the moment of time when I was there, definitely that's all I knew how. I mean, I liked sales. I liked dealing with people. I liked building relationships and I was, you know, it, was, it came pretty naturally to me. So for me doing that, it was it was good at that time. And I think, again, it was just another chapter in my life. I, I look back on now and it was good while it lasted, but it was certainly not something where I was you know, doing it for the right reasons and it wasn't meaningful for me. And now that I know a bit more about life and I've made some errors and some mistakes and some, you know, some good hopefully as well, you know, I look back and it was just a learning curve. And yeah. and how long did you stay in sales before you, you moved on to try something else? Yeah, I was in sales for about 2008, I f- no, 2005, sorry, I finished school, probably for the next four years. Okay, so you had a fair crack at it. Yeah, I had a real good crack at it, jumping from different types of sales jobs, I pretty much, you name it, I probably sold it. I was just selling because it was good money. It was commission only. And I, I know, you know, if you make more sales, you make more money you make. And at that stage, it was, it was, it was fine for me. And then I ended up meeting a girl who was in America. I met her in Mexico, actually, on senior spring break. And uh, I dated her. And long story short, I ended up at a, um, studying a f- finance and a, an accounting degree at Bond University on the Gold Coast. So, so you, you, you went back and you did some study. Yep. And was that because you wanted, you, you saw yourself entering the, the finance industry uh, straight after, or what was the main motivation no. for that, for, for jumping back in and studying? Yeah. Main motivation for this was probably 
doing it for the wrong reasons, I guess. I, I dated a girl from the US and I didn't have any idea about the US culture. Apparently, you've got to have a piece of paper that okay. says you've done some yeah, study yeah, if you yeah, want yeah. to live there. And I was really into the relationship and, you know, it was the first love of my life and and I did everything I could to make it work. And I told her, you know what, I'll, I'll go to university and I'll get a degree because she moved over and studied with me and and we both studied together and I don't even know how I got through it, but I got through it with flying colours. There you go. Uh, a lot of twists, a lot of turns and ups, downs and, and everything else and, and graduated about three and a half years. Okay. And, uh, and were you still with the girl? Yeah, you still, still with the girl when I finished and made a promise that I'd, I'd head to America after I graduated to, to, to see how I'd fare in the, on the ground in the US and went to the US on a, on a working holiday visa for 12 months and worked in it. I was very lucky. I mean, the first four months in the US, I you know, was constantly getting rejected at all the jobs I was going for. It was like, no, you're not good enough or no, you don't have the right credentials or no, we're just not taking anyone on now or no, like interviews after interviews and my, my skin, I had to create thick skin for it because it was, I was just getting rejected left, right and center. And then after that, I mean, something gave, it, it generally always does give. So many no's can, can only lead to a yes, I guess. So I ended up landing an internship at an organization called Wells Fargo. They're kind of a big financial firm in the US. I was pretty grateful for that. And that, that was only a short-lived intern too because they, they had to get rid of me because something dried up in, in their finance division. So I ended up leaving there and then I was without work for a couple more months. And where were you living in? I was living in the Midwest. I was in St. Louis, Missouri, which is in literally the smack bang in the middle of America. You, uh, you wouldn't believe it and it's a very small world, but my, my father lives in Missouri. You're and, kidding. And, oh my God. And I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually driven through St. Louis a few times. He, he lives in Columbia, but um, I know St. Louis pretty well. Yeah, near Mizzou. Columbia is near Mizzou, the, the yeah. university. Yeah, so I've been and seen the, the Mizzou Tigers, I think, the yeah, basketball yeah. On the football team. So I spent a bit of time there, mate. So I can relate to. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh my God, what a small world out of everywhere. St. Louis. Yeah, it's not, the, um, it's not the number one place for most Australians when they, when they head over to the States, but it is, it's an interesting place. It is. It is. And every every time I was going to flights, and I'll never forget it, and to book my flights, they're like, so what What takes you to St. Louis, sir? And I'm like, well, I'm have a guess. And they're like, a girl, I'm like. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I ended up in St. Louis, and then I was very fortunate enough. Uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time, oh, now she's my ex-girlfriend, her dad was very high up in a firm. He was a vice president of a, of a wealth management private equity company, and he got, ended up they're not wrong, you know. It's sort of who you know sometimes. He ended up getting my foot in the door with a firm and I worked there for the, probably the next eight months, had my own challenges and sort of things started going south. And that was that was in St. Louis as well, mm. that firm. Yeah. Tell, tell us about St. Louis. What outside of work, you know, how is it different to Bondi? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so different. For starters, there is no beach, so you're landlocked. There's no water for, I don't remember. There's just so much land and big steakhouses and a few big gyms over there. That was a good thing. Their gyms over there are gigantic, which was, was, which was awesome. Not a lot to do. I mean, after a few, few months, the novelty sort of wore off for me and I was getting a little bit bored. I ended up coming back to, to Australia for my sister's wedding and I realized the importance of family and the importance of the life that I, that I had here. And I guess for me, I mean, if you really love someone, you sort of, compromise and you'll move around and do whatever it takes to make it work. And I did that for five, five years. And it got to a stage for me where I was sort of like, I need to start taking care of myself. What does Sam Webb want? I fell out of love and ended up, uh, you know, coming back to Australia. 
And and again, I mean, I had my own challenges at this stage of my life too. It's probably where it was at rock bottom. And this is probably where everything started to change for me. Yeah, ended up boarding a flight day after Christmas and sort of saying, you know, I've got to check out, I'm out. I've got to go home. I've got to go, I need to go home. I just, I just wasn't in a good space, like mentally, yeah. physically, everything. So were these, were the challenges that you're talking about, were they stemming largely from the, your relationship with this girl and being away from family or were they deeper than that? Yeah, a lot deeper. I think you can't really put it down just to one, one reason. This, this would have been from a number of different things, my own mental health challenges at the time, setbacks, missing home, family, you know, not being as comfortable in the relationship as I was. It was a long time. I got into a relationship at a very young age. I was 19. And, and were you able to, to build some form of sort of community and friendship groups in St. Louis or was it very much you and your girlfriend and their family while you were over there? Yeah, it was, ve- it was very much the family, very close to the family. Whitney, my ex-girlfriend's name is still to this day. I'm very close with her and her family. They're legends. They're amazing. They're like my other family. Like they're, they're literally like my other family that I didn't have. And there was never a problem with that at all. That wasn't it. It was, yeah, I probably didn't have a massive network of friends outside of the relationship, but I think you need that. Yeah. I think you need that bit of social connection. It, it sort of adds a nice balance to it. You know, I don't blame anything. I blame myself because look, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it really is what you want. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. And I've got, I don't beat myself up or anyone up about it. I did the best I could, what I knew how, and I had a crack and, and ended that back up. So when you were, you know, boarding the flight and you were on, on the way home, was that, you know, to an extent, did that feel like a bit of the weight off the shoulders and you were sort of in the right path towards facing some of these challenges and, and overcoming them? Is that something that you can look back on or at the time were you really aware I'm, I'm in a bad place and, and I need to, to get back to Australia and I need to heal and I need to move into the right direction? Yeah, for, yeah definitely. I mean... Now I look back on it and, and I'm trying to investigate this area more for my own well-being and for my own journey as well. I, I wasn't in a good space at all. It was the worst space I've probably ever been in. And I think I was in denial about a lot of the things I was going through mentally and physically and everything else. And it was like I was going home to try and make amends, sell a couple of houses so I could head back to America and invest my whole heart into it, you know, rather than being half in it and half not. And I ended up getting back home and things just spiraled out of control and I just you know, I did, I did say I was coming back to, to America to live, but it just never eventuated. So when you, when you did come back to Australia, what were, what were some of the first things that you did in terms of, you know, moving, moving back into the right direction and just taking control of, you know, your life. And like you said, putting Sam Webb first. Yeah. I don't think I put myself first when I come home. I think I sort of spiraled out of control. I come back, I reunited with friends that I hadn't seen in so long and I'd been locked up in this, very, you know, tight, deep, deep connection relationship for the past five and a bit years. It was for me, I come home, it was a bit of a pressure reliever. And I sort of let my hair down and I, I would have probably gone on a, on a drinking bender for probably the next six months. And it was just, yeah, everything in my, I didn't work. I, I was making bad decisions and it was just one of those things where I had to find myself. No one else was going to do it for me. So I had to sort of test the waters. And this was, you know, how old were you at this time? I was 20, 24. Okay. So this is six years ago. So what was, what, what, what came up next in terms of opportunity or challenges for you after that six month period? Where did, where did you go to from there? After that, I mean, I, I uh, 
was very much back on the Gold Coast. I was living in Burley Heads. I was living in my house in Burley Heads and in a, in a not so much of a routine, but again, I, st- I still was struggling. I was struggling, working on my own mental health, but again, in a, in a, it was deteriorating kind of quickly. Reconnected with a lot of, as I said, a lot of friends that I hadn't seen in years and how everything sort of coming together was I met, caught up back up with a mate. It was a childhood friend of mine, Dwayne Lally, and this is cutting a long story pretty short, but you know those guys that you connect with that you you don't see for a while, but you do connect with them and it's like you haven't missed any yeah, time? Yeah. This was Dwayne and I's relationship. Um, we're very similar, I guess, to a lot of a lot of extent. We connected for a, for a while and we're having a good time. We're going out as 24-year-olds do. And, and to paint the picture, Dwayne's the life of the party. So always having a good time. Very energetic. He's always got the girls, and he's like, "Web, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm lining out with my my chick's best friend." I'm like, "Sweet, let's yeah, go." So he's, he's the kind of guy that you you find it hard not to have fun with. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he's just you just always want to be around him. So basically, um, Dwayne and I ended up just hanging out, and he's trying to handball me his chick's his chick's best friend, and that was all going well, and she was amazing, and a night that I'll never forget. And I talk about my own challenges, and and we can deep dive into this deeper if you want later on. But I mean, rock bottom, everyone has their challenges in life. And I look back there and I was in a really bad place. I made some really bad decisions. And did you know, just before you head into that rock bottom and what happened, did you, did you know that you were, that you say you had these challenges? Is this looking back or were you, were you seeing someone, were you talking to people? Were you really aware that you had mental, you know, mental health challenges? Yeah, no, I, I, I think, yeah, I was aware. Like I knew that, what I had I, I, for the for the past five years, and I never really share this because it's not part of the living story, but I will now because it's, it's 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 open. But for the five years prior to that, I was probably on antidepressants for five years leading up to to my me leaving the US. So I pretty much went cold turkey. I remember stopping Zoloft not not long before Christmas, and I I remember very vividly going and just going, you know what. I'm out. Like I told my girlfriend at the time, I'm, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going home day after Christmas. I'm going back to Australia. I'm going to try and sell a house and, and f- clear up some debt and finances. And I'll head back to, to America and we can live in California because I had a job op- opportunity open up for me there as part of the private equity company. So I got a job offer. They were going to sponsor me and everything. So I had some really good, solid work in front of me, a great career from what it looked like from the outside. Everything looked sick, right? Like I'd love to live that life. Yeah, yeah, Who'd yeah. want to not live in California, work for a private equity firm, make a fucking ton, sorry if I'm swearing, but no, it's fine. A, a, ton, a ton of money uh, and have a girlfriend and it all looked good, but I wasn't happy. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work in finance. I didn't do it for me. I didn't, I didn't do it for Sam Webb. And uh, I ended up back in, in Australia and decisions being mixed up with the wrong people and losing a, a fair bit of money and having my own mental health challenges. It, and I mean, it got to a stage where, you know, for me, I had to make a change. I had to do something about it. And I was trying my best to, to, to work on myself and to try and get out of certain groups of people I was hanging around and, you know, trying to escape certain decisions I was making on the weekends and everything else. And I guess one thing led to the next and to, to speeding back up to where we just left off before so people aren't confused. The night of September 15 of 2013, Dwayne and I linked up and we had a plan to catch up that night. And he's like, Webb, we're scrapping the double date. You're coming over to my house. We're having a party. And that was like, for me, I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for a party. I'm all for a good time. And he's like, all right, we'll get on over. I'm getting um, my girlfriend. She's going to pick you up um, with a friend. 
So I, I head on over and get to Dwayne's house that night. And I can tell you right now, at this stage in my my life in 2013, I wasn't in a good headspace. This was, it was, as I said, it was deteriorating. It wasn't getting any better. I hadn't worked. And I'd only recently just got into a job um, leading up to this night, worked in an advertising media agency. And we're at a party, like any house party. I'm sure you've been to plenty of them yeah. as well in the past. And good time. Everyone's having a great time. And Dwayne, as I said, life of the party. Everyone wants to be around him. You're always having a good time. And energy creates energy, right? He calls me into his room that night. And it's like, Webb, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, no worries, man. No worries. And he opened up to me. Like I didn't even see anything coming. I knew Dwayne had had his own challenges, but even though that I had my challenges, I'd been diagnosed with a mental health challenge or a mental illness. I still didn't know what you say, how you deal with it, what you listen to, what are the signs. Like I only knew what I knew from me. It wasn't like I'd studied it. I didn't yeah. know the. So this was quite foreign when he was telling you this. You. You weren't sort of, you know, an expert in terms no, of how to respond or deal with it. Not at all. And I, I look back at it now and I, and we can always look at hindsight, but we'll get to that bit in a minute. And I, I think the most important thing of that conversation was I thought I listened as best as I could. Dwayne opened up to me that night and he said things that I, I was so caught off guard. I had no idea about, like I'd tried to take my life before, not once, Webb, twice. And what, what am I meant to say back to that? Like I, I tried to, like I listened as best as I could and I reassured Dwayne that he had so much support and help around him. And we'd probably, we lost someone prior to suicide before this and it was one of Dwayne's good mates. So we, we already saw the ripple effect and the effect that this had on people's lives. And he's like, I promise you, Webb, you know, I'm telling this because you're one of my best mates and, you know, I, I know that we're, we're, we're very similar and all these sort of things in regards. And I opened up to him that night too around my challenges, which I don't think he was really aware about at the time. And, we sort of had a laugh about some of the medication he was uh, he was on for, for bipolar. And I used to be on the same medication. It used to make you put on weight. And we laughed. And he's like, yeah, fuck that medication. I need to get off it and need to get back into boxing. He represented Com Games or he was going okay, on to wow. represent Com Games at 16. So he was a very talented person. And we laughed that night, had a good time. And he, he looked me in the eye and said, Webb, I promise you, I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm ever in a bad place or ever suicidal and all these sort of things, I'll make sure I reach out to you and I'll tell the people that care about me. And we all agreed that there was so many people that would do anything for you. You know, if you're ever struggling, man, just pick up the phone. There's always going to be people that will help you and support you. And that was the last time I saw Dwayne in Living Proof. That was the last time Dwayne ended up taking his life about an hour or so after that. It's crazy. On, the, on that night. Yeah, on that night. While, while people were at the party. At, party. His, at his house, yeah. God. Yeah. What, what I hit home with and to anybody listening is if you can't look after yourself, it's very hard to look after someone else. Like self-care is number one care. So I've tried to put that at the forefront of everything that I do these days and I've got to promote that because I've got to live that too. And if I'm not, I'm not, I'm not faithful to what I'm, what I'm doing. And I wasn't taking good care of myself up until and including that night and many nights after it. So the information that I was feeding back to Dwayne might not have been the right information. That's how I look at it. And you never place to give the right information if you're not doing so well yourself. And, you know, I was in a terribly dark, dark place myself that night to witness the effect that the suicide had on thousands of people from all walks of life. It put my life into perspective. Like sometimes you know, a problem to me might be a very different problem to you. Uh, the small problems to me at that stage were almost insurmountable. And 
I can tell you from firsthand experience that, you know, it's live or die and you've got two choices. And I look back now and the effect and the impact that Dwayne's passing had on his family, his friends and friends of friends. And then the people that have found that found Dwayne and their extended network, it was like not being here wasn't ever going to be an option. We had to do something now to make a difference. We had to do something to make a change and everything just sort of made so much sense after that night. Everything sort of, everything that I was so unsure about and I, I thought wasn't fixable and all these other things there were solutions for that, that existed. I had to start taking action. I had to start taking responsibility for my own life because no one else is going to do it for me. Otherwise, I might, I might have been another statistic like Dwayne was and that was never going to happen. Well, mate, um, you know, thank you for opening up on yeah, that that's right. because, you know, by opening up, you're helping raise consciousness and, and, and I want to jump into to living and what it stands for in a little bit. And I, want, I really want to dig into the strategies that you're recommending people use mm-hmm. if someone does approach them like that because from my seat, everything that you're saying that you would, you know, you did in your discussion with Dwayne sounds you know, like you did a remarkable job. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in knowing now what, what you think when you look back, you know, based on having more years of experience and working with mental health close eye and, and also getting over your own challenges. Mm. So before we get into that though, let's jump back to you. Yeah. Okay. That night obviously had a tremendous effect on your life. How did you then from that point start taking you know, better care of yourself and start working towards healing and, and becoming, you know, a, a happier person. Yeah, yeah. I was, and and to take it, I mean, that notion away, I was, I was very happy, but there were certain things that would, that would be extremely overwhelming for me. And it was like, it's, 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 it's always going to be hard to explain. And for anyone that has suffered or is suffering with a mental health challenge, it's really hard to explain because sometimes you just can't articulate it. No matter what words you try and uh, sling together, they just don't make sense sometimes. And that's fine. And so for anyone out there that's suffering, if you don't understand or you can't explain it, that's completely fine. That's normal. For me, part of me, I knew that straight up I had to start dealing with what I was going through and I had to work on a game plan to fix myself before I even try and do anything else. Uh, and it wasn't an overnight quick fix either. And it's, I think it's a, it's, a life, it's a life lesson. It's something that you just forever manage and it's something that you forever you implement new strategies in your life just to live well. And I think everyone has their own strategies, whether it's training, whether it's eating right, whether it's, you know, having downtime, you know, having time for yourself, having time for family, loved ones, speaking up. There's a whole bunch of different strategies, which we can touch on. I mean, for me, I, I really needed to to admit to myself and and accept the shit that I was going through and being really brutally honest with myself about what I was dealing with and speak about it. I think I had to, and I think speaking about it was a big help for me, but it wasn't the only help. I mean, I had a great team in my corner. My family are amazing. I have great friends and they've always been by my side as I am for them. And you have to start from within before you do anything else. And I just worked on, worked on me. And even after Dwayne's passing and, you know, having to identify Dwayne and going through that whole process and, and everything else, it, it takes its toll on, on you mentally and then physically and everything else. And you've just got to take each day as it comes. But 
you hear that get thrown around a fair bit. What I mean by that is you've just got to accept what is. I can't change the fact that Dwayne made that decision. I can't go back in time and say, I wish I could have, should have, would have done that because that's not going to bring anyone back. That's just going to make my problems bigger and I'm going to ruminate on those issues, which I, I, I'm not going to. So what I've got to do is what are the things that Sam Webb can control and how can I fix that? How can I take full responsibility and action for what I've done or the things I've done in the past and make amends or make changes? Because if I don't, it's not going to get any better and I'm going to keep going down the same path that I'm going down and it's not going to look good. So it was all about having full responsibility and accepting my own challenges and then working from within. Was that something that you discovered yourself so that taking control and controlling controlling what you can, not worrying about external things, not letting them get to you and, and sort of govern you, is that something that you as a 24, 25-year-old, you came to that conclusion and you implemented yourself or were you receiving external help, you know, experts type of people that deal with mental health or yeah, I was, it was a, a combination of external professionals, uh, great family support network and friends in my corner. However, I think the game changer for me was, it was a tipping point in my life, this whole experience. It was a tipping point. I, I got to a stage where I was at, at, at the end of the road and this, this very tragic experience happened with my friend Dwayne and it made me see the impact so I could actually see what, what could have happened. If it had that have been me. Do you, do you think at any time, did you think you were heading down that same path? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, wow. Absolutely, many times. And you, you, you'd actually thought about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not to an extent where I tried, but there's suicidal ideation a lot of the time, um, even post Dwayne's passing. There was many, many times. And I think, and then facts come out, like we can look at facts. Most people well people or people that are suffering with a mental health challenge or vulnerable, whatever it is, most people have the thought of suicidal ideation in their life at some given point. What sort of has stopped you from following through on that? Is it thinking about the impact, the community impact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And life's always better living. Life's always better living, you know? Life's always, you've got no opportunities if you're not here. I'm, I'm a lover of life, always have been. My challenges took me to a, to a very dark place in my life where what I thought was never going to be an option or possible was actually starting to seem like it could be an option. And that was scary for me. And I had to unpack that. I had to really find out what was causing that and really, really dig deep. Like, cause I, I like to think I'm very resilient. I come from a pretty resilient family with like most families have many challenges, but again, I, it, it's a combination. I had great support, great family network, great friends, you know, spoke to the right people and Again, it just comes back to taking responsibility. Like I, I can inspire someone to get help. I can motivate someone to get help. I can give someone a telephone. But if you don't pick up the telephone or if you don't make that first call, if you don't take that step to take responsibility and take action, you, you can't change someone's life. You know, recovery is up to the person that wants to recover. If they don't want to recover, they don't want to recover. And that's how powerful this is. And it's not that they don't want to recover. It's just that they don't see any hope in recovering. And I saw a lot of hope. And for me, Dwayne's passing saved my life. In a nutshell, and how I explain this all the time, Dwayne's passing, and as terrible and as tragic as this sound, I'd take everything back to this day to have Dwayne back here because I know how many lives that, that would have saved as well along the way and the impact that it's had. But he saved my life. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, wow. 
So if if someone is in that position and they're not seeing the hope, as you just said, how, you know, as a friend or father or mother, how, how can you make them or help them see that, see that there is there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is life worth living? Yeah. It's a, and again, each to their own. My, my, my management program or what works for me or what works for you or whoever else is very different. I guess from an overarching perspective, I think it's, it's safe to say that suicide is never an option. But how do, you, how do you justify that to someone that's in a very dark place that is contemplating suicide and who's in a very dark place and they don't see any hope and any light? My, my and I know what would have helped me and I know it would have helped Dwayne, was just being honest, just being honest with your friend. Like if you're worried about someone, just checking in with them and being honest and let them know that you're there to support them and letting them know that, you know, you're not judging them and that they're, there's a saying, like everyone always says, you're not alone, you're not alone. But I can tell you right now, when you're fucking struggling and you're at dire straits and, and, and that is an option, you feel so alone. No one can help you. So I think it's about looking at baby steps, not trying to look at the big problem, overarching problem, try and take baby steps because the smallest little things and too many options can become too much for someone. And it's very overwhelming. And it's like, nah, there's no hope there. I can't be bothered. But just doing little things, like doing little gestures, offering professional support, or would it make you feel more comfortable, Simon, if you know, maybe you're not comfortable to go see a psychologist by yourself or to make and take that first step? Would it feel or would it make you feel more comfortable if maybe I come with you? To try and break down the barriers. Yeah. Make it easy for them. Would it make you feel more comfortable if maybe we if I just sit here and listen to you for the next hour? Would it make you feel more comfortable? Do you want me to check in with you once a week on a text just to make sure you're doing all right? Little things like that can change someone's life. And I didn't know the power of that. I didn't know the power, even as a sufferer. I never knew the power of that. And it's so powerful. And and what about I know I know suicide affects females and males. But just speaking from my seat and, and looking at my group of friends and suicide has directly affected my group of friends. A couple of years ago, we lost a friend. But what, what about the, the guys when you ask them if they're okay and you, you, you may well know, you, you know there's an issue, it's not public, they might not know that you know, but you can just see it and they put the guard up, you know, it's yeah, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine. Nah, mate, I'm fine. So they're not really letting you get in. How in that situation, what is your advice in terms of being able to, to you know, help someone who's not sort of opening up at all? And and again, this is a it's a very complex question to a lot of lot of extent. And I want to make it very clear on this podcast, I'm not a professional mental health qualified expert. I've done my training and I work alongside consultants and doctors and everything else, but it doesn't mean I'm a professional. Sure. I think I think What's super important, and that's a super common, especially for males in particular, we're, we're, we're built to be these heroes that have the answers to everything. One thing is a fact, no one has the answers to everything and no one knows everything about anything. So say if you say that back slowly, no one knows everything about anything. No one ever does, which is so true. Males in particular, they think they've got the answers to everything and I'm fine, I'm okay, it's sweet, it's a facade. So it's what I call smiling depression, it's a face they put on and it can become tiring. And now I look back on Dwayne. Dwayne used to do that extremely well. Uh, he used to try and put a face on, I'm tough, I'm good, I'm, the, I'm sweet, everything's all good. But behind closed doors, by himself, you know, there would have been times of struggle. And it's the same with, with anyone who, who, who denies it. But what, what, what I think would be super helpful for that person would be to be honest again, 
as if you're a really good mate and depends on the situation that you're in and whereabouts you are, you wouldn't yell it out of the workplace or something. Maybe there's a certain place yeah, sure. you're more comfortable and, and maybe it, maybe he's just not comfortable to say how he's really feeling in the workplace. Maybe there's a safer place for him to, to, to sort of open up and be honest with him. Mate. I'm, I know you're telling me you're fine, but like as a real good friend, like I know you, man, I'm, I'm and I might be completely wrong, but I feel, and I'm worried about you. I feel like something's off or you're not, you're not being the true you. Cause there's always going to be signs and there's, you're not meant to be a mental health professional as a friend. You're not meant to be, you're just meant to be a friend that can, can be there to listen at the very best. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to speak. You don't have to try and answer everything. You don't have to try and unpack everything. Just be there to listen and just be honest. Those things, if you listen and you're honest, they're always going to get you to the right places. Honesty is everything. And, you know, just, offering support all right you're telling me you're fine and there's there's warning signs that you can pick up you know we often look for not getting out of bed of a day um, change in mood change in behavior change in appetite too much sleep less sleep more sick days maybe then they're, they're not taking them off for sick days they're mental health days there's always going to be clues and i look back now in hindsight and there was so many clues that Dwayne was giving me that night and one of the common ones is is the life at the party, people that are always on, they're just always on. They're like high-functioning depression, for example. They're very good at their jobs. They're extremely productive in the workplace. They've got a great network of friends. They look like they've got their shit together. But a lot of the time, that's not the case. You know, behind closed doors, when they're on their own, it's like they're struggling. And some, some people just don't have that confidence to speak up and, and ask for help. I just think it's just about checking in with your friends from time to time. This is from a non-professional perspective, obviously, but just being honest with them, check in from time to time, dropping someone a message at the random times during the week. Many times I've done that in the last four years and people have been at the brink of suicide. I mean, save people's lives. And if, if anyone's listening, friend or perhaps themselves, and they do want professional advice, who do you normally suggest that or that they go and see or is there a website they can go and find people local to them? What's the best way of navigating through that? Yeah, if people want to go to a site, they bet definitely come to org. We can help because there's range of get help and everything else there. But I mean, you can, the thing is, I, I want to make it clear is there's a lot of people out there that can help and support you and they want to help and support you. When you're struggling with a mental health condition or a mental illness, you feel like you're a burden on people. You feel like no one can help you and you feel like no matter what you say or do, it's just going to be way too much. And the thing is, I mean, you, you can ask for help and go to your general practice and speak to a doctor. And the most important thing that you've got to keep in mind here and have an open mind is it might take a few times to get the right fit. It's like finding a pair of shoes. You know, if you don't have a good relationship with the person that you're seeking help with, it might be a psychologist or a you know, psychiatrist, don't give up right then and there. That's not where it ends. This is the beginning. It's a, it's a long race, but with the right help and the right support, you can get back on track and you'll start living again. Yeah, but it definitely takes time. Like I, the amount of different doctors I had to see to find someone that we got along and they just, done, they just asked the right questions and had the right time for me. So be patient. Patience is key and don't make any impulsive decisions because- some impulsive decisions you can't keep, you can't come back from. So you need to take a little bit of pressure off yourself and find the right people to speak to and support you. 
Yeah, give yourself permission to not be okay. Like it's all right. One in five people will suffer with a diagnosable mental illness in the next 12 months. Sick, you know, that's, what's that? It's almost four to five million Australians. So it's like- It's normal. Yeah, like it's, it's and, and it's, when you speak up, it will give someone else the confidence to speak up. You know, it's like a really positive ripple effect. Don't give up on yourself. What I always say to people that are struggling is be a friend to yourself. Be the friend that you wanted your friend to be. Or be a friend that you'd be to your friend. Treat yourself like you'd want to be treated. Because in six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, you'll be in a, or you might be in a completely different headspace. And you'll look back and you'll be like, so stoked I got through that time. I'm so stoked I didn't throw the towel in. I'm so stoked I didn't give up. And you mentioned, you know, your website, Living, and the charity that you've set up. So can you, can you talk us through, obviously, the inspiration behind that was um, the passing of Dwayne and the effect that that had on you. How long after that did you start Living and what are you doing with that today? Yeah, cool. So Living, Living started after the death of Dwayne Lally in 2013 in September. We started Living pretty much straight after. Uh, living started in my kitchen on the Gold Coast in Burley Heads where we started selling T-shirts and it was for us, it was very much a passion project. We needed to do something because we come from a group of young guys that were knockabout blokes and we unpacked and I knew that I'd suffered from it and I knew that you know, Dwayne had had his own challenges and what the effect that it had. This was bound to be the case for a lot of other guys that we probably know that are probably in our circle. So we started living and one thing led to the next and it just sort of took off from there and Four years later to this day, you know, we started education programs, got into schools and, you know, people wanted to wear our stuff and then sort of, it just sort of took off and a lot of, a lot more people were coming forward and our mantra is it ain't weak to speak. And a lot of people are like, you know what, I spoke up for the first time last week in five years, for example, and I felt so good about it and I got the help that I needed and I got back on track and I know it's not a, a quick game and it's going to take a while, but I, I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. And hearing those stories for us was gold. And it was like, all right, if we can save one life, this has all been a success. But I look back now and the mission's far greater than that. I mean, I didn't go to, when I went to school, we had sex education, you know, at best outside of the curriculum. I never had someone coming in to tell me what mental health was. What are some signs? How to look out for your friend? How to look out for yourself? How do you identify it within yourself? What you wouldn't say to someone, you wouldn't say harden up or get over it. There's people in the third world countries complaining. Why are you? You know, like you don't, you don't ever say that stuff. That's unhelpful. So for us, it was, it was very much education based. So we wanted to intertwine education over everything that we did. So in merch, we supply education packs, every order that goes out. Um, we give people, you know, certain warning signs, tips and tricks to live well. And all on our merchandise, I mean, it opens up conversations. But on top of that, I mean, the most, I think a really, the social impact side of things is definitely the school education programs that we deliver now across Australia. And that's just been growing year on year, which we're extremely grateful for. Again, I can't thank our supporters and followers enough. I mean, it blows my mind every single day. I, I like go to bed and I'm like, there's just so many help, uh, self, self, sorry, selfless people in the world, and especially here in Australia that have helped us get to where we are. And I want each and every one of them to think that they're part of the living family because they are. And this isn't where it is today because of me or because of Casey. I mean, this is where it is today because it's a real issue that we're dealing with. And it relates to people from all walks of life on multiple levels. It's amazing. I mean, just hearing early on that 
initial feedback when you first started it of people who were resonating with it and were voicing up and potentially, you know, not going down that really nasty path that we've been speaking about and taking their life, um, that must have, you know, early on stages, that must have been a tremendous feeling for you, mm-hmm. knowing that you were onto something that was going to have such a huge effect on the community and such a great purpose for you to to work hard on and mm-hmm. build. Where where do you see living going from here? And and over the sort of next five to ten years, what what are your goals there? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we just wrapped up a bit of strategy, and off the back of such a tragic experience, yeah, it definitely did open up life for a lot of people. I know Dwayne as a person, he was very giving, and I know that he'd be sitting there and going, "Oh, I'm stoked," you know, that this has created this because it's the sort of guy he was. He was very giving. He'd give the shirt off his back, like he literally used to go to Bali just to help. You know, certain underprivileged kids over there just used to go over there and take spare clothes and that for them. And living in five, 10 years, it's it's going to keep growing because this is a movement. Again, people are going to be part of a movement. And I don't know exactly where it's going to be in 10 years, but my goal is to change the way the world understands and perceives mental health. And the only way you can do that is by changing people's behaviors. And it starts here. And if no one else is going to go at it relentlessly it's my job i'm going to do it with casey and the rest of living and the living family and we'll do our best to make a difference where we can and how we can and all of this is you know we're very grateful a lot of support a lot of organizations help us a lot of schools help us we spoke to over forty thousand young people now to this date so we're very grateful hopefully we've saved some lives along the way and made some good positive impacts in communities that's what this is all about but i mean self-care will remain top of mind for everyone that's involved in living because you need to look after yourself before you can look after anyone else in this space in particular we're dealing with people's lives so you need to be on your game every day and you need to be sharp and i'm grateful i'm so grateful that i experienced what i experienced because i, I don't think i'd be as rounded as i am today and i feel like i'm i understand this so if, if i was coming just from a clinical point or just a lost survivor i don't think i'd be as over this as i am like as when I say over there, I mean as understanding. Cross, yeah. Yeah, but having my own my own challenges and a family history of suicide and mental health, I mean, it's it's I'm grateful for those dark times because it's it's helped I feel it's helped in the work that I've done with Living and in the conversations and the people that we've connected with over the over the past four and a half years. Yeah, well, I can tell you, you know, firsthand the effect that your organization has had on on in my life and my friends. You know, in my friendship group. So as I mentioned before, James Brannon, who's a, a great friend of mine and one of my best mates, and he he uh, took his life a couple of years ago now, must be two years ago this October. But we were able to to run a a, a living event down in in Melbourne, and just to see the number of guys. I mean, there was there was two hundred plus people there, and we raised a lot of money. Uh, for the charity, which I want to get onto and, and and let people know how you do raise money so they can get involved if they'd like to. But just to see the the event itself um, and the number of people, you know, that are now more aware of mental health and guys checking in on each other and talking about it. And, you know, I just think maybe, maybe without the organisation and running these types of events, our friendship group wouldn't be checking in on each other so much. So, Definitely having a really big impact there, mate. And, um, you know, you should be really proud of that. Yeah. Again, it's, it all comes back to the old famous teamwork makes the dream work. And I'm very sorry to hear about your mate, James, and 
I did connect with Sarah, who I think was yeah, Sarah his girlfriend. Was his girlfriend, yeah. And um, again, it's living where is where it is today. Unfortunately, from a very tragic experience, and there still is tragic experience. While we have a lot of good wins along the way, and we are saving lives, it's you know to hear about your mate a couple of years ago, James. I mean, there still is losses, and and it's hard. It's hard, especially for. Yeah, for us in this space and trying to, to stop it all happening. It's it's a very hard challenge, but it's a challenge that we're willing to invest our whole selves in. And because of the event, for example, that you guys raised, I mean, you guys are continuing now to you know check in and be a bit more proactive and start those conversations that probably weren't even going to be there before. And it, it's, not a, it's not ideal. It's far from ideal. And some of the worst things can happen, but they can create some really special moments. And I think that I feel that this has all created, you know, some special moments and, and given life to a lot of other people that probably wouldn't be here today. Certainly has. And in terms of, of raising funds and if anyone wants to get involved, how, how can they help? Yeah, absolutely. If, if people want to join the living movement and, and jump on board and help spread the love, they've more than, you know, welcome to, to head to our website, living.org. They can, you know, you know if you've, you, you can fundraise, you can, Get us out to your local school or workplace, uh, or you can, if you if you want to look good and feel good and rep some, rep some gear, you can jump online and buy some gear. But yeah, we're we're just very grateful. We don't expect nothing. I don't. No one owes me personally nothing for nothing. I don't expect anything from no one. We're just very thankful for the support and any help would be greatly appreciated. And that's um, l i v i n l i v i n dot org, which I will put a link in the show notes for anyone to click through and, and have a look. Okay, so let's let's just jump through. I know um, people will want me to ask you a few questions about what you've done outside of living. We've seen you on TV a couple of times. Bit of a lemon on TV, wasn't I? Let's let's start off with Survivor. So yep. you were, uh, to my knowledge, you were on which season of Survivor? Season the 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 first season. So the very first season of Survivor. What year was that? 2016. Okay. And how were you, like, how did you get chosen to go on the show? What was the process there? The process was arduous. It was very uh, complex. There's a lot of interviews, a hell of a lot of hoops and, you know, things to jump through. But I finally got on there and I'm very grateful to get on there. Uh, for me, getting on the show was more about me getting out of my comfort zone. For me, I, I don't camp. I'm a, I'm a pressure, I'm pretty precious, but not anymore. Um, so I just, Got on there and I wanted to see if it was as really as hard as it was, like it sounded. And I can tell you right now, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Now, I was very fortunate enough to last 50 days out there on the island or 49 and a bit. What was the location? Samoa. So what island was it on again? The Survivor Season 1 was on Samoa. Okay, and it was pretty tough? The hardest thing I've ever done to, to this day. I mean, mentally, I was pushed to the brink again. Uh, I actually treated every day like I was dealing with my mental health challenge. In the past, that's it was real dark. There was some times there where it got real hard, and uh, there was plenty of times where not only me but the entire cast wanted to tap out, and I wanted to plot an escape and go and steal my passport back and run. And it got to a place where it was so hard, I was just like, literally, I was looking, how on earth am I going to get to the end of this? Like, how? What am I going to do? I'm going to look so bad if I end up quitting this. Like, I actually don't think I could last. Paint, paint the picture. So, how, how many days is the whole thing, the whole experience? The entire game is fifty-five days. Fifty-five days, and on a daily basis, you know, what's the physical requirements? What are you eating? How how long are you sleeping? Every day, so you you get rations of rice and beans, 
And then you pretty much just forage off the land. So mainly there where we were, there was a little bit of fruit, not much, and it was gone pretty quick or coconuts. And that was pretty much all you had, but you're only really lucky to have the rice and beans if there was fire. So if you have no fire, you're pretty much eating either nothing or you're eating coconuts. And there's no behind the scenes, here's a buffet or here's a nice sleeping bed. So it is what it is. It is what it is. And let me tell you, they put you over there in the in the wet season. So every night it's almost, it's thunderstorming or raining and it's ri- ridiculous. So if you can think of rain, there's no fire and it is freezing. Even though it's summer and it's a hot season, it's, it's sort of like wet season, hot season. I don't even know how it works, but it was freezing at night and you sit there. But you've, the good thing about it is you've got a team. So if you need help, you know your other parties and your other teammates or your tribe mates they're also struggling and they're going through their demons and we'd work together. And this, it, this was so good for me because it was, it was exactly like you do with, if you were suffering with a mental health challenge, it was very applicable to what I did in my life. Yeah. Wow. And it was just the physical challenges were, were amazing. That was so exciting, you know, fun and huge. And it was the highlight of my days. And then you'd win most, well, we were very fortunate enough to win them, but, if you lose, you go back to camp and like you go to tribal council and it's like a night time and your nights just that never end. And every night I was going to bed, I was just praying to God that it just get light because in the dark, it's just, you can't see anything or anyone. It's tough. And you were, so you made it all the way to the end pretty much? Mm, top six. Top six. Yeah. What, what, what are the main sort of takeaway positives that you've taken out of the show and perhaps you've been able to implement into your life afterwards? Probably the the biggest takeaway is just believe in yourself and stay strong to your core beliefs. Stick strong. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks and just stay strong. And whilst you were on that show, you'd already started living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So your business partner, everyone, they were just, they were supportive of you to go on, go on, give it a crack. Yeah. And I guess raise, even raise some more awareness. So you used it as an opportunity to raise further awareness for what you're doing with living. Yeah, absolutely. Use it as a bit of a foundation to propel living in, in, in different areas. And it was good. I mean, again, very lucky, appreciative and thankful. And it was, yeah, I don't know how I look back now. And yeah, again, it's self-belief, I guess, got me to where I got myself to. But there was some days where you don't see on TV where it was a real struggle. Like I wanted to quit. There was days where it broke down. The whole, everyone I know on the, on the tribe did. So, I mean, it's tough. It's a hard game, but, would you do it again if they I'd said, do it again, come yeah. back, we're going to another island? Absolutely. I'll do it again. And I felt like it created, I created even a stronger mental strength. It's helped me in more ways than one, definitely. And, and from- I had a lot of time to think. Yeah, wow. I can imagine. A lot of time to process my, my life, my journeys, where I got to that, to that day, my, my downfalls, my wins, my losses, all that stuff. It gave, I had a lot of time in my own head, spent a lot of time in my own head. And you don't have any technology, so you don't have anything to, to buy time with. When you came out of Survivor, is that around the time that you started thinking about doing some acting? Yeah, I was acting before Dwayne passed away. Okay. So I was, did my first um, theatre on the Gold Coast. It was the first show, so I did 11 um, Broadway shows, whatever they call it, in a theatre, and I loved it. And I was going through that with the whole transition when Dwayne passed away, I was six weeks into my, my, my prep, my rehearsals, and then Dwayne passed away. And for me, acting has never been about 
being famous or anything like that. I, I, I love it because I'm exploring parts of me that I probably didn't even explore. And it gives you a, a, a very open mind. I love exploring other people. I'm very fascinated by people and I like seeing how people act and like I can be anyone I want when I'm an actor without any repercussions. I can be a murderer. I can be a cop. I can be a, a biker. I can be anything I want and no one's going to hurt you for it. You know what I mean? It's a performance and it's an art and I love that. I love that about it. I love everything about it and and that, that was, for me was a very good escape when I was going through the loss of Dwayne and, my, and again, my own challenges, I was using acting as a way to channel some of my emotions and it was, it's the perfect field I feel for me. It's, it's just a great balance. I, I'm very calm. Like I'm not normally a calm person. I'm pretty, I'm very energetic. I'm highly, I'm used to be very highly strung. I'm a lot more laid back these days. However, acting, I'm just so clear. I know exactly what I want to do and how I want to do it. Yeah. Wow. So it's almost settles your nerves, just getting yeah, into the character. Yeah. So you, you know, we've since seen you on Neighbours. Yep. When did that opportunity arise? That, that, that started, I auditioned a couple of times for them. So I had a self-tape, uh, sorry, self-tape for them. How does that work? You, you, you've got like an agent and they contact the agent or, you know, how, how do these TV shows first get in touch with the actors themselves to sort of cast? They put a brief out and then my manager obviously submits some of his talent to certain briefs. If they fit them, I fitted the character. Okay. And that's basically I tried, I auditioned for it like everyone else and I, I submitted my audition. I was very fortunate and lucky enough to get on. I'd auditioned previously too but and, and I wasn't successful for another role. So um, for me, I just persisted and, and the acting's very hard. I mean, you're getting a lot more no's and you will have a yeses. I'm getting no's to this day and that's what I love most about it. It makes me very humble. I'm very grounded. I know I've got to keep training. I'm a student of life and- that's the beauty of it. I'm always learning. So you, what you, you ended up on Neighbours. What yep. character did I you play? played? A, I played a, a character by the name of Mannix Foster, and Mannix was a he was an out of towner from Sydney, Bondi. Okay, um, relocating back to Melbourne to to get back into the drug trade. And so was, and was it was he a character that was on the show for a while, or how long were you on there for? He's only in there for a couple of months. Yeah. Okay. So, you, but you've you've now Cameo. added now, yeah, Cameo. But you know, you now added that to your reel, mm. and you 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 know just said then you're still submitting to to get onto other shows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm back at acting classes actively this week, and did did some work over and like just met up with some agents and stuff in the US when I was just there a couple of weeks ago. And it's just forever, just a learning thing. You just got to keep working on it. Like if you want something hard enough, you just got to work for it. It's not going to come to you. You got to work hard. The hardest workers in the room are going to get the job. And I just didn't work hard enough and, you know, I'm going for auditions and I'm not getting the role. So obviously I'm not working hard enough or, or something's missing. It's not that I'm not good enough. It's just, I'm just not giving what they want right now. I'm not solving their problems. So I'm back on, back on the chalkboard, back at acting class and I'm working on my craft. I'm sure another opportunity will pop up. Oh yeah, there will be. There's no doubt in my mind. I won't give up until I get one. So, so we just mentioned Bondi and, and um, you live in Bondi now. Yep. When, when did you make the move to Bondi and, and why? Made the move to Bondi from, I was pretty much living all over the eastern suburbs for the last few years. I'm like, I need to get back by the beach. Beach is like my, my serenity. It's like, yeah. it's like my sanctuary. I lived on the Gold Coast all my life at Burley Heads and getting to Bondi was just like, I don't know why I didn't do this when I first came to Sydney. I like, was living at like Potts Point, 
Double Bay, Point Piper. I'm like, get me to the beach. So I ended up uh, relocating back to relocating back to Bondi and never looked back. And for, for anyone listening, Bondi is on the, the very east coast of or New South Wales, one of the most easterly points, not the most easterly. I think that's Byron Bay, but it's certainly uh, east of the city in Sydney. Mm-hmm. What are your favourite things to do around town? Favourite things are probably eating. I love a good, healthy food. Like, and, and I don't even know if I've even touched on this this session, so sorry if I haven't, but I was pretty ignorant with food. I was all, I've always eaten pretty healthy my whole life, but what I thought was healthy my whole life turns out it's probably not the most healthiest food. I love eating. I love. I, I eat, and I've, I've grown <laughs> to really like what I put in my body as fuel. And I think that goes hand in hand with mental health. They say your second brain's in your stomach, and and I'm a big believer of that. I've changed my diet in the past twelve months since coming to Bondi. I haven't had any red meat, for example. Yep. Um, I'm trying to turn to pes- uh, pescatarian. Amazing. And, and it's been hard. It's been a challenge. But in terms of my feelings and and how I feel mentally, uh, sorry, mentally and physically, I'm, I'm feeling ten times better for it. It's just that it's hard when you're at a mate's house and they've cooked yes. up something it's like, and you don't want to be a pain in their ass. You're like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm, I don't eat that. Like I'm changed. But favorite things to do in Bondi for me are definitely uh, hitting the nice cafes. There's a nice one just around the corner from your place, actually, at North uh, Depot. Yeah. Love the I'm Depot. A, I'm a regular down at Depot. Yeah. Uh, Whole Foods. Uh, I love going for a bit of a run. I'm not the scenic yeah, yeah. route. I just run up the hills up the back of Heartbreak Hill and whatnot, try and steer clear of the crowds. And uh, just hanging out. I mean, I like I like having a good time. So I'm all about the balance. Like while I'm doing as best as I can, I'm I'm not always. Per- no one's perfect. And are you a coffee drinker? I don't drink coffee. You don't drink coffee. I so don't have a coffee. So um, green tea. Green any, tea in yes, the morning. Yeah, I, I drink green teas all the time. Yeah, two or three day. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, green tea. No coffee. Never had a coffee. I haven't had an espresso martini. I, I do have espresso martinis if I drink. So I don't have a coffee though. So I've never sat down and said, okay, let's go for a coffee. And for me, it's like, let's go for a milkshake or let's go for a thick shake or whatever, you know. I'm pretty cruisy like that. Well, mate, we're getting towards the the end of this podcast. And I think it'd be fitting for me to ask you, given your experience in the TV industry, what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? It's a tough one. I was actually just discussing this with a friend the other day. I've got heaps of really good ones, but one a go-to for me that I go to all the time and it's a bit of an old one. It's probably Point Break. Yeah, wow. With Patrick Swayze. Yeah, I've seen that Reeves. a few times now. But that's I like. Awesome. But I. But again, I mean, that's an old one. If we're talking about the the bit more of a newer era, I, I love The Dark Knight or Blood Diamond. And Blood Diamond's classic. With, yeah. Uh, Any, Leo. Anyone with Leo, I mean, he's my like. And that South, he's, South he's African a, accent. Yeah, he's he's just a genius. He's a genius. All right, mate. Well, I'd like to personally thank you for everything you're doing with living and jumping on the plant proof podcast today. I think our listeners will, you know, take a lot out of everything that you've spoken about with regards to mental health, breaking the stigma and just helping open people up and, you know, more freely speaking about any battles that they may be dealing with. And I am super, super excited to see you on TV on whatever uh, whatever pops up in the near, near future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Simon, for having me on here. And if anyone has listened to this, and just remember, if you're ever in doubt, just, just reach out because it does get better and there is a lot of support and people do want to help you and there are people that can help you. So just hold on, keep strong, and uh, keep punching forward. Thanks, mate. Thank you.
And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof. <laughs>